Welcome to Backstory, the show that explains the history behind today's headlines. I'm Joanne Freeman. I'm Nathan Connolly. And I'm Ed Ayers. If you're new to the podcast, we're all historians, along with our colleague Brian Ballow, and each week we explore a different topic in American history. Today, we'll talk about plantations and how these spaces engage with the past. And we're going to start in southwest Georgia, where Shirley Sherrod has worked for 50 years to create a sustainable community for African-American farmers. I've been telling farmers for years, you, you can't make it out there on your farm by yourself anymore. You've got to work with your brothers and sisters in the area. Sherrod's a co-founder of an organization called New Communities in Albany, Georgia. She helped assemble the collective of black farmers back in the late 1960s. At the time, she was organizing for the Civil Rights Movement, and she started to notice a pattern. What we realized as we were encouraging people to register to vote, many of those individuals who were living on land owned by white people would be asked to leave. There were so many individuals who were at the mercy of the farmers, you know, who employed them. So we could have a mass meeting and have a family show up saying they've been asked to leave the farm and we would have to work to try to find places for them to go. So that's what prompted the whole idea of trying to create a community. Once new communities got rolling, there was some immediate, intense pushback from white landowners in the area. Those early meetings, sometimes shots would be fired at the building, sometimes with some of us in them. Despite this hostility, Sherrod and new communities thrived in the 1970s. They grew peanuts, corn, soybeans, and sold cured meats like ham and sausage. We had a major operation there where we could sell product while we were also growing peanuts and other crops. But we experienced droughts in the latter part of the 70s. We tried to apply (laughs) for an emergency loan like all farmers were doing, and When we went to the local office, the guy said, you'll get a loan here over my dead body. The group eventually faced foreclosure and lost their land in 1985. Years went by, and Sherrod worked for other agricultural groups in the region. But in the late 1990s, she received word of a class action lawsuit against the USDA. It was called Pigford v. Glickman. The plaintiffs were black farmers, who were denied loans from the USDA because of racial discrimination. And they used the years 1981 to 1996. And that was because when Reagan became the president, he abolished the Office of Civil Rights at USDA. So when our farmers complained, when we complained uh, about the treatment at new communities that we were getting, those complaints didn't have anywhere to go because Reagan had abolished that part of the agency. In our case, we had to be compared to plantations in the area. And it was just shocking to find that these plantations around here that were owned by rich people were actually getting the loans we were denied. We tried to apply for irrigation, actually had a contract to grow a large acreage of vegetables to be shipped to stores in the Northeast, and uh, we were denied. But those plantations with rich owners were getting irrigation. 
You know, they were getting all of the services that were denied to us. Sherrod says they waited 10 years for the case to be reviewed. But finally, in 2009, she got a call from her lawyer. She asked if we had heard, and I said no. She said, we won. Now, the way things usually happen, I thought, okay, we won. They're going to give us a dollar. She asked me, do you want to guess how much? I said, Rose, is it at least a million dollars? She said, no, it's 12. You know, it was unbelievable. I think both my husband and I started crying that night. Two years later, New Communities was reestablished on 1,600 acres of land right outside of Albany. And this time, instead of battling the plantation, they owned it. When we purchased the land, we didn't know it was a former slave plantation. We just knew it was a prime piece of property. We were actually looking at two different tracts of land. Now, I can tell you that the previous owner invented the system for paying for fuel at the pump. So he had lots of money. There's an antebellum house on there. There are other structures, but he put $3 million just into restoring that house. There's an 85-acre lake. There are cabins down by the lake as well as up near that main house. Now, we started looking at the history of that land, and that's when we found that it had been once owned by the largest slave owner and the wealthiest man in the state, Hartwell Hill Tarver. He owned about nine plantations and kept the largest number of slaves on that property. Mm. We also learned that when Jefferson Davis was running from the Union Army, he actually spent some days and nights there on that property. So you're on what was the largest plantation in the state of Georgia, a place where Jefferson Davis literally laid his head (laughs) during the, the age of the Civil War. And I have to imagine that that history shapes or at least adds a very profound context to the kind of work that you all are doing there now. Definitely. So we had what we call blessing of the land ceremonies, You know, the Lower Creek Indians were the first inhabitants of this property, this area. So we decided to try to bring as much of a mix of people as we could to this property to do the blessings in their cultures. It was so educational for our people because we feel it had a bad beginning in slavery, but we ought to be able to come together to do Mm. some healing and promote a better way, let's say, here in southwest Georgia, on that property. You can teach our children black history when you got the slave plantation. We have a copy of an ad uh, where 150 slaves were sold from that plantation on December the 29th, 1859. Incredible. One of the things we vowed to do is try to find descendants from from those slaves. We know who bought them, and we just need to be able to do the research to find out, find the sinners. When we start teaching our people their history, you couldn't find a better place to do that, I think. And that relationship between the, the history and the memory of slavery and the contemporary struggle to protect 
really, you know, agricultural health for the entire country, but also specifically for the very small number of African-American farmers. Why is that so connected in, in your mind and in your efforts there? Well, you know, I grew up on a farm, and I grew up in a family that believed in farmland ownership and education. I mean, that was drilled in me. So, And then we were surrounded by plantations. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was Ichaway Plantation that adjoined some of our property. Ichaway was owned by Robert Woodruff, who's the chair of Coca-Cola, mm. a 33,000-acre plantation. Wow. See, these plantations are still intact now. You know, so I'm surrounded by big plantations, but then where I lived, my family, I don't know how they ended up there, but I found them in the 1870 census. They were there sharecropping to buy land. So, I mean, that's been drilled in me through the years to work hard, to get an education. Now, I didn't like it. You know, that work was hard. Right. I can tell you I wanted to get as far away from it as I could. In fact, if my father had not been murdered, I wouldn't be living in the South. Mm. I made the commitment to stay on the night of his death and work for change. But I, it was not my plan because I picked cotton. I picked cucumbers and all of the other backbreaking work that we had to do. Right. But now I look back and I got it. I got what my grandparents and great-grandparents were trying to do. They educated my father and my uncles and cousins and so forth from that land. I got what land ownership could do for you. And what I normally say is they took 6,000 acres from us, and God gave us a plantation intact. All across the South, there are hundreds of sites that were once plantations. The challenge today is what do we do with those spaces? Today, Plantations have been repurposed into things like museums and even private event spaces. But how are these sites grappling with their complicated legacy? On today's show, we'll explore that question and take you to a few plantations that have radically different approaches to the past. 